Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, uh, welcome hey. to the podcast. Father John, my good friend, my good, good buddy, Joe Doman. Thanks, man. From the Doman clan of Philadelphia. Here we are, Catholic Stuff You Should Know, another kind of gloomy night in Boulder, Colorado. Isn't it supposed to be summer right now? I know. Well, it's the ambiance that you're setting makes it a little more gloomier. We wanted to do indirect lighting to kind of set the mood because we're talking Correction, about... Correction. Father John wanted to do indirect lighting. Yes. I'm, I was just... Uh, I have a question. Okay. What is that? That's a boot. What it, is it like literally uh, an alligator? I don't know. Father Peter, uh, my pastor, and in whose room we are sitting, his sitting room, uh, he's got a boot. Uh, along with other really random stuff. Uh, My favorite is his tissue box of uh, Disney princesses. Yeah, that's really awkward. <laughs> and uh, yeah, all kinds of books. We got a ton of old albums over there. Remote control car. Uh, and then a couple bass guitars right there. It's just a special place down here. But yes, special. that is a uh, that is a cowboy boot. And I would guess that's alligator. His dad makes those. Did you know that? No, I didn't know Yeah, that. that's his dad's kind of shtick. He's an iconographer and a boot maker. Mickey Musset. God bless him. Awesome, Interesting man. Awesome man. So, Jim, you already uh, stole my thunder from last week uh, doing a cool martyr. So thanks a lot. Yeah, way to copy it. off me. So here I am copying off you. But uh, the topic today, which uh, is going <laughs> to... I'm, I'm laughing because he just looked down. He's like, what is the topic? <laughs> Wait, what are we talking about again? Oh, oh. I forgot the name. I think it's Geismar. Yeah, that's right. The Thunder Oak of Geismar. Right. Thunder Oak. Thunder Oak. Of Geismar. It's like that baseball bat that Homer Simpson had. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Never mind that. The, uh, um, <laughs> people are going to look at this and they're going to be like, I'm not going to click on that one because it's going to look so weird. But they're missing out because this is going to be a very interesting podcast. Well, so you're lucky if you've clicked on this. The Thunder Oak of Geismar. If you're here uh, and you're still listening, it's unbelievable for a number of reasons. I'm really excited. Here's how this uh, podcast came to be, Jim. Uh, Jim is his nickname, sorry. Uh, Joe. I was road biking uh, with our good friend, Father Mike, who everybody knows. Father Mike and I, uh, this was probably a week ago, week and a half ago, we were riding out in the country uh, north of Boulder, up towards this uh, lake, this lake up in the mountains. And uh, this guy kind of came among us, and I thought he wanted to pass us, but turns out he just wanted to ride with us. And he ended up riding with us for like two hours. Crazy. Really? Crazy. Random dude. Just Where up, was this? Uh, just up north of Boulder. Just cool. an older guy. He's probably <clears throat> mid-50s, just riding around. I looked at his leg. I said, what is uh, what are those patches on your leg? And he goes, oh, those are morphine patches. I was like, morphine? He's like, yeah, I got a horrible back. But he's like, oh, I'm, I'm putting in about 60 miles uh, right now. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So the guy's a little crazy. The guy also happened to be Mormon. Nice oh. guy. His name was Scott. Yeah, good guy. But Scott informed me that Jesus was born on April 6th and that Jesus died on April 6th. And uh, I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And I was like, where'd you, where'd you hear that from? And he's like, oh, it's just, you know, divine revelation. <laughs> so I was like, well. I'm sorry for laughing, any Mormon listeners. No, no, that, that ends that conversation, essentially, right. you know, uh, unfortunately. So I was like, well, I guess we're not going to be able to reason this. And uh, I was like, don't you guys celebrate Christmas? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, so you celebrate the birth of Jesus on April 6th and on De- December 25th? And he's like, yeah, but December 25th, everyone knows that's just a pagan holiday. That's just Yuletide, right, from the Germans. And I was like, yeah. And. He wasn't too interested in talking more, so we didn't talk more. So I came across an old story, and I thought I would share it with you based on Christmas. Interesting. And the Yuletide season. And the Yuletide season in the Thunder Oak of Geismar. Mm. Geismar. So the story begins with a young man named Boniface, right? Boniface. And Boniface uh, was born in the year 680 in Devonshire, England, 
At the age of five, he wanted to become a monk. He was just a pious child, like I'm sure you were, Doman. Not true. He entered the monastery at Exeter two years later, grew up as a monk, and then at a certain point, right, uh, in 722, he goes. So he's about 40. He goes to Germany. Germany, the whole, really the whole kind of northern uh, Europe in the 8th century was still completely pagan. Right. This is before right. the time of Charlemagne, right? So the empire has not moved north yet. So German, Nobody. what's Germany now was all barbarians. All barbarians, yep. And there's just kind of nothing, there's no Christianity whatsoever. So he goes with some of his buddies from the monastery in Exeter, and he heads out, actually from the Diocese of Winchester. So hmm. heads out for Germany. Makes his first trip, goes kind of through the Netherlands, and then he makes his way to Germany. And uh, kind of begins his evangelization there, right? He goes all the way through, like, northern as well as central Europe. Does a pretty good job. He converts a couple of kings. And then, of course, you convert a king and you get a couple thousand people there. Yeah, you know, you so, got I mean, people. He, so he's kind of doing well. Goes to Rome to see Pope Gregory the Great. Nope, not the Great. Sorry, a different Pope Gregory. Gregory the Second. Probably still a good guy because he's a saint. Um, <laughs> pope Saint Gregory the Second. And uh, he gets the official charge from the Pope. He says, "You, I'm, I'm consecrating you a bishop, and no go, you're, you're going to be kind of the apostle to Germany. So he's sent uh, by the Pope uh, very specifically. And he's going to stay in Germany until he's martyred in the year 754. So Boniface heads back up to uh, Germany. Now Boniface uh, is an interesting guy. So he's, he's kind of working the crowds. He's doing these different things. And uh, one of the guys he ends up discipling is a young guy named Pepin. Pepin. Do you know Pepin? I do. That is the father of Charlemagne, right? It is. And, and he, he gave a lot of land to the Pope. He, yeah, the donation of Pepin, which we've talked about in other podcasts. But he uh, specifically disciples this guy who ends up being a really good guy. And mm-hmm. then his son ends up being a very, very significant player in the development of Christendom. So he's got a very, very significant role as he's kind of converting Germany. But the interesting thing, my friend Joe, happens when he's with a band of his followers. And this is a very kind of poetic form of it, so I'm going to read some of this to you. He's traveling through the woods in Germany uh, on a winter eve. It was, in fact, uh, the old Roman road that was running, and he said it was Yuletide. It was Christmas Eve for the pagans uh, in Germany. Snow covered the ground, muffling their footsteps. Their breath could be seen in the crisp cold air. No, no, no more of that. Okay. <laughs> they say, his uh, companions say to him, it's time to stop. We're freezing. It's enough of this. And he says... Let's continue forward. Courage, brothers, and forward yet a little a little more. God's moon will light us presently. I love how the saints talk. And then he says, uh, For this is Yuletide, and the heathen people of the forest have gathered at the Oak of Geismar hmm. to worship their god, Thor. 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 Do you know Thor? I wonder if it was Thor's day. Joe, that was horrible. It's true, and that's where we get Thursday from. Really? Yeah, it's, it's a pagan thing. You just made that up. No, I didn't. Father Frank told me that. That's crazy. Our beloved Father, Father Frank loves Thor. Uh, okay, who's quick Thor? Here's just a quick run. In Norse mythology, Thor is the hammer-wielding god associated with thunder, lightning, storms, oak trees, strength, and the protection of mankind. He gives us healing and fertility. So he's like the central <laughs> guy uh, for, I think it's Icelandic originally, and then he makes his way into kind of Scandinavia and then down into northern Germany. So Thor is like the pagan god. Uh, and he's a f- specifically affiliated with hammers and oak trees. Both of those are going to be important for our story. Interesting. Okay? So Boniface says can, we need to continue forward through the cold night because they're going to be gathered around the Thunder Oak of Geismar, and uh, we need to be there to kind of shake it up a little bit. So he rolls in with his posse, and uh, here they are. And uh, this is cool. Boniface 
in kind of classic saint language, she just says, Here, St. Boniface proclaimed, is the thunder oak, and here the cross of Christ shall break the hammer of the false god Thor. Yeah. Oh, here comes the setting, right? <laughs> Everything's getting excited. Now, they come in, and uh, there's the scene, and, and everyone is kind of gathered around this oak tree. And as they enter into the scene, uh, they're about to do, um, which is typical, the sacrificing one of the children of the tribe, but specifically one of the royal children. So one of the, I forget, you know, the, what, what do they call him? Uh, Baldor the Beautiful. Uh, he was the... Uh, <laughs> this is very typical. I mean, we all can relate to this. Right, right. So he's like the, what do you call like the leader of the clan? Tribesman? Tribesman. Chieftain. Chieftain, that's what I was looking for. Thank you. The, chief, the chieftain, or the duke, actually, is what it says here. And Hunrad, the old priest of Thor, takes his child and is about to have this sacrifice so that the blood of the child will soak in and appease the thunder oak of Geismar. Hmm. Okay? You can see where this is going. I'm turning the page. <laughs> okay? So they haven't offered a, the, the sacrifice yet, but right as they come in, they have to just kind of feed the, the holy tree of Geismar and appease the god Thor with this child's blood. As soon as Hunrad lifts up what is the black stone hammer, okay? Because you got it. It's the hammer. This is the god of the hammer and the oak and thunder. So this, that's how they're going to kill the child. They're going to kill him with the, the this kind of sacred hammer, right? Ready to have it crush uh, the child's head. And as the hammer fell, Saint Boniface thrusts his crozier against the hammer. It fell from his hand and splits into two. And sounds of joy and awe fill the air. Right. So he just like <laughs> annihilates the hammer right before it kills the child at the at the foot of this thunder oak. Right. And this so is dramatic. this is dramatic. And so then Boniface kind of, you know, he's shaking it up and people are going crazy, but he kind of like compels the people and kind of gives them this like amazing kind of heroic, I don't know, homily thing. Yeah, it's yeah. like in my parish. He starts like, preaching. People do this. He starts preaching the gospel. And one of the things he says to him is he points behind the mighty oak and he sees this young little fir tree pointing like he describes it as a cathedral spire towards heaven. And Boniface spoke to these people, this little tree a young child of the forest shall be your holy tree tonight. It is the wood of peace, for your houses are built of the fir. Hmm. It is the sign of an endless life, for its leaves are evergreen. See how it points upward to heaven. Let this be called the tree of the Christ child. Gather about it, not in the wild wood, but in your own homes. There it shall shelter no deeds of blood, but loving gifts and rites of kindness. The first Christmas tree. No way. Isn't that crazy? Why didn't you save this for Christmas? I don't know. I just I <laughs> just was perfect. excited to talk to you about it. <laughs> That's awesome. We could wait six months to post it. Yes. No. Okay. And then he cuts down the Thunder Oak of Geismar and builds a church. With his crozier? With his crozier. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Crazy, huh? The Thunder Oak of Geismar. The Thunder Oak of Geismar. That's so then, awesome. Uh, yeah. So he does that, and then he does some other cool things. Um and then he goes back to the Netherlands and he gets martyred there. Yeah, that's what I, I when I read about Boniface originally, I remembered that he had a cool martyr story. And this is what I remembered: he actually didn't get sent to Germany first. Well, no, first he went because I think he was born in England, right? Mm -hmm. But he went. To Obviously, this, you've been paying close attention as we've spoke here. Yeah, yeah, clearly. Um, <laughs> quiet you. I uh, but for when he went, he went from England to Frisia, I think, which is present day right. Netherlands, and he was you know going to be the apostle of the Frisians, I guess. Uh, but nothing panned out there. He was there for like a year or two, and it didn't work out. Like, he wasn't getting many converts at all. Ends up going to Rome, and then the Pope says, go to Germany. Mm -hmm. So he goes to Germany and does his work there for how many years? Uh, but by the end of his life, he goes back. He always kind of kept the Frisians in mind. It was like, I want to convert. I want to convert those people. And so he went back there, um, 
and it didn't really work out again. They ended up martyring him. But as they were coming, I think they were, how I remember the story, and don't quote me on this because I'm not positive, but uh, is that he was, I think he was saying mass, but it might not have been. That's the part I'm fuzzy on, but I'm not fuzzy about this part. Whatever he was doing, whether it's mass or something else. He was holding the book of the gospels. He was holding the book of the gospels. We know that much. And uh, the, the guys come in to martyr him and the people he's with take up arms to like defend him. And he says, no, you know, cease fighting, lay down your arms. The scriptures tell us that we should not return evil for evil, but we should overcome evil with good. And so they lay down their arms and they all got martyred. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. But I'm just like, saints are freaking awesome. They are, man. They are, they are absolutely fantastic. Now, this oh, is... Wait, can I say something real quick too? Yes. Because this is, I just think this is all, this has been on my mind a lot lately. But so, so Thor, right? Yes. Father Frank, he, he talks about Thor occasionally. This is a priest we have. In this. He's a bi-ritual priest, Eastern Byzantine, uh, and he teaches us church history. But he always says, Thor would be the god that I would choose. Right. You know, he's he's the god who's strong, and he's, right. you know, thunder, lightning, the hammer, you know. But my god, you know, the god, the god that's real, he, his power doesn't look like that. His power is in being made weak right. and is on the cross, you right. know. And it's just a beautiful story. Uh, even the the explanation of that, like how Thor, you know, it's it's going to be violent, the death right. of this child, and right. the hammer, and just a crozier, which isn't anything like a hammer, destroys the hammer, and right. then they're left with peace. And the Christmas tree, which is a small, humble little fir, right. uh, that is going to you know shelter Christmas presents. They make their houses of it. It's it's going to be a sign of peace. Uh, but it's beautiful. But that's what overcomes. You know, the evil is overcome by the God who is weak. Yeah. Uh, but His power is made perfect in weakness. And that's how he dies. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he the in Frisia, you know, they came with power, and this was a man who had a crucified heart. Right. His heart was that's how that's how he lived everything, you know. So it was just it's just a beautiful example for us. And I'm I you know me I love the I love the whole power martyrdom weakness right. thing. I right. just I think it's so central. And I think there's all kinds of like connections and ties into that. But it is interesting that's like the the fundamental temptation of man is to, the desire to worship Thor, the god who is power and strength. And then to become that, you know, mm-hmm. the Nietzsche. It's a projection of, of what worldly power and strength look like exactly. into the divine and but what God reveals is something. And very what different. we want, we want worldly power to reflect uh what the divine is, and that's what Thor is. It's just the ultimate guy who can annihilate anyone with a right. hammer. So if you want to be plugged into the power of Christ, you know, you have to go to weakness, go to right. powerlessness and selflessness. Right. Powerlessness unto death, that is what the cross is. Now And that's where power is. Yeah. Now Yes. Let's talk about implications for religious dialogue. Oh, yes, please. Let's go on. So uh, just coming in, smashing the hammer and uh, annihilating uh, the tree that everyone's worshiping. This sounds kind of intense. And you're like, uh, you know, could you imagine doing that uh, to another religious tradition nowadays, Joe? Mm. That would be a problem. I think you'd be out of seminary. I would be out Not of a job. Ecumenical. Not ecumenical. This is what's important. Where the people that this happened to in Hesse, that was the area of uh, Germany. Uh, they had been previously converted, and then he went to Rome, hmm. and then he came back, and he found, and he knew they're going to be doing the old things, they're going to be worshiping the old gods, they're going to be doing their superstitious thing. So the way that he executes judgment upon it is based on, Christ, it's Christians who have lapsed back into pagan worship. Really? Uh, and that's why when they see the sign, they uh, uh, there's such a kind of a quick turn. These are not just like hardened pagans who'd never heard of the gospel, but they had fallen fallen away and then when he returns it's like you know not only am i going to smash your hammer but i'm gonna cut down your tree and then we're going to worship christ as we should build the church out of your tree exactly so i think that's just a little important distinction that is yeah that is a good thank you for making that i'm glad you said that too because i was uh 
I w- we just had our spring break last week in the seminary, and I went down with two of my friends from seminary to Gallup, New Mexico. One of my buddies is studying for the diocese of Gallup there. And Gallup's a really interesting place. Have you been out of Gallup before? I have. When were you there? Um, I was there for my immersion, so it's 2005. Oh, for your immersion. Okay, so Gallup is um, it's partly in New Mexico, partly in, well, I mean, the town's in New Mexico, but the diocese covers Arizona, parts of Arizona and parts of New Mexico. But it's kind of... Uh, they kind of carved out where the Indian reservations are to make the Diocese of Gallup. So I think it's one of the biggest dioceses in the country geographically. And it's and in two the, states. And in two states. And it's the poorest diocese right. in the country because it's all New Mexico, Arizona, and Indian reservations. Um, but while I was there, I went to see a friend of mine, Lowell Jensen, who a, was a student grad with me. We were in school together. And he's a missionary there uh, working on Indian reservation and teaching at a Catholic school to some Indians who are... Catholics and Zuni Indians. He's on the Zuni tribe. But uh, he, he said while he's been there, uh, it's uh, it's been a really interesting experience, but th- they're still practicing, you know, their Zuni religion culture, pretty much a pagan religion. Um, and he, he went to one of their, uh, I don't know what you call them, services or one of their rituals uh, that he went to. And he was allowed to go just to, he couldn't ask any questions, couldn't say anything, but it was outside. So he was just kind of walked down the street and just to watch and, um, really interesting experience, but he's, he's thought like, I wonder, so he kind of wonders like, how would somebody evangelize, uh, these people? Like, how would you, I wonder, you know, he was almost thinking, you know, what if somebody just came in here and just like, you know, interrupted their service and started preaching? I mean, they yeah. would be like, they would be like ticked, you know, oh, and yeah. that's an easy way to get martyred, you know? Oh yeah. Um, so it's, it's interesting to hear this story with Boniface and, and Thor and how there's like already a relationship there. But I mean, right. it's a, it's an interesting, I mean, we don't experience that very much in our world, especially in America, but it happens. I mean, yeah, there's, there's these pagan religions here and, uh, and the Indian res, you know, um, and they're doing their thing, but it is interesting. Like, how do you, how, how do you encounter this as a Catholic religion? So, I mean, they, right. they've, they've made some converts and stuff like that, but. And we always bounce around the ideas of like, you know, whatever's true, good, and beautiful and, and the religious traditions of the world, uh, the church holds to be, you know, good and noble. Uh, but they're about to kill a child, yeah, and that's part of it, you know. And when you get to the level of human sacrifice, you know what Cortez and these guys saw in the Aztecs and these different things, this is where it, it starts to change a little bit. So yeah, yeah. It's tricky. Let's do an email. Here we go. This is from John Nestle. Nestle. Not Nepple. Nestle. Um, Dear Father John and future Father Joe, I live in Sydney, Australia, and I've only recently discovered your podcast. I suspect my story is all too familiar. I'm not Roman Catholic, but I love your podcast. I'm sure there are less intellectual reasons, uh, e.g. sharing in the joy of your friendship for one another, but these are three most prominent. Number one, wonderful listen to Catholics who understand and rejoice in the central pillars of your church. I've only been taught Catholicism by Presbyterians who I fear have poisoned my mind from a young age. Okay, Mm. number one. Number two, my wife is a lapsed Catholic who knows less about Catholicism than I do. Wow. My desire is that my interest in learning what she believes will rekindle her faith. Beautiful perspective that for a guy a who's not Catholic. You yeah. Know? Uh, and the number three, that I will overcome, resolve my two obstacles, which he doesn't necessarily talk about here. But then he's got a couple questions for you, and I want you to fire off and answer these real quick. All right. I won't burden you with the two obstacles, but suffice to say I have a few questions. Uh, requested podcast topics. Oh, these are podcast topics. Okay, so you answer No one. questions. No questions. Why do we worship Mary? Great one. Have we done some on that? No, we just did we the rosary. We should do that. Yeah, that's, that's important. kind of an, yeah. Uh, and then, why is it so important that the Eucharist becomes Jesus' body and blood, i.e., uh, when the church is full of symbols? Why do we hold to this? Not more a symbol, realistic? more than a symbol. Exactly. And then, why are priests? Uh, why are you priests rather than ministers slash elders? 
Hope to hear from you soon. Okay, I'm going to do one on the priesthood. Which one are you going to do one on? Right now? You no, not right now. Podcast. Because uh, we got to give John something. He I'll do one on Mary, on why we, why we worship Mary. Okay, great. Or we'll, don't worship Mary, or what so that looks like. you do one on Mary. I'll Mary. do one on priests. And then uh, real quickly, let's have you answer why the Eucharist is not just a symbol. Because the church is, he says, the church and the mass are so full of symbols. Why do we speak of the church or the Eucharist and say it's not a symbol? It's something more than that. Well, the uh, this isn't going to satisfy him, but the easiest answer is just, well, because Christ said, this is my body, this is my blood. And so it's hard to... It's hard to contradict what Christ says. Right. And uh, I always look at John 6. I mean, John 6 is kind of the, that's the, it, you know, the Eucharistic, the bread of life discourse. Um, and there he's, this is where he's talking, you know, unless you eat and drink my flesh, uh, my, my flesh and blood, you have no life within you. And um, and he speaks very kind of explicitly about eating and drinking uh, flesh and blood. And this is when everybody freaks out and says, this is a really hard teaching and uh, who can accept it? And then it says many left him. And and then Christ turns to you know his disciples and says, are you also going to leave? Uh, but what's interesting is that Christ doesn't say, oh, wait, don't leave. You know, I, I was just speaking figuratively. Right, you know, this right. is, it's, I mean, it's a symbol. It's not really my, you know, right. my flesh and my blood. It's a, right. it's a symbol, you know. No, that's not what Christ does. And you would think if, if that was, if that is what he was implying, uh, he wouldn't just watch people leave over this. And he understood, it is a hard teaching. We don't, we don't pretend like this is easy. Um, but uh, it's, it's a difference between we have the signs and the symbols. We call them sacramentals a lot of the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. all around us um, because we are physical, fleshly beings and, you know, ensouled beings. So we have a body, we have a soul. Uh, but we always, we, the, God, God doesn't just come to us abstractly. He always comes to us through physical things. Uh, and so, you know, holy water reminds us of something uh, and it's a symbol of something. It's a symbol of grace. Um, and, uh, you know, even in the sacraments, but in the sacraments are something different. You know, it's, it's something, a visible sign. It is a sign, but it's a visible sign of something that is invisible and really present. Right. Whereas a normal, you know, a picture of somebody on the wall, uh, you know, if you have a picture of your parents here, uh, there's, 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 it's a symbol of your parents, but they're not actually, there's nothing of them truly present in there except for your own, you know, whatever you associate with that. Right. Uh, but there's something very different with the sacraments. And I think that's the key is that. Symbolism, because when you're looking from the outside of the church, you see a lot of symbolism: art, music, right, incense, these different things, holy water. But the sim- all the symbolic things are rooted in sacramentality. And if you don't understand the sacramental nature of the church and right, the universe of the universe, that Christ in His humanity, and this is going to get a little crazy for a second, but when God assumes a humanity, that the way He imparts His grace is through visible signs, and He makes the world and essentially elevates creation to being this sacramental dimension. And there's seven principal ways by which he brings that in. The symbolic richness around that is to support the deeper sacramental dimension. That's the heart of the church. The church is the sacrament. That's her, that's her essence. And that's because that's the way that Christ institutes and desires to bring his grace. He doesn't want to eclipse humanity. He doesn't want to eclipse physicality, corporality. He does it through the visible. Mm-hmm. And that's... Uh, that's our little two-minute shot at it. That's interesting. A little cool thing too. From uh, I when I found this first, I just thought it was awesome. But Irenaeus, uh-huh. one of the church fathers, I think in the third century or fourth century, when uh, the humanity of Christ was being challenged, uh, you know, Ari, we, we talked about Arius before. He came along saying, "Yeah, Jesus, he was. Oh no, I'm sorry, the divinity. You know, Jesus was a man, but he wasn't really God. He was the Son of God, but not God." And Irenaeus, to in order to respond to the Arians and the heretics who were saying, "No, God didn't really become man." Like, you know, Jesus was was a man, but he wasn't God. God didn't come in. 
And he was like, and he used as an argument for why the incarnation was real, why God actually did become man. He's like, just just like God becomes real and is present in the Eucharist, he became real and was present in this man. Wow. Like he used the Eucharist, the, Eucharist the, the fact that everybody man. believed in the you he's like, you accept that this is God. Right. Why would you not accept that he actually became a man? Ah, interesting. Which, I mean, so this, is, this isn't this is something we made up in the Middle Ages right. or something. This yeah. is something that was being used as a fundamental premise very early on in arguments. So. Very nice. Well, Joe, I think that's about all for tonight. That is about all we have. It is quarter to nine, and my uh, really? work day oh, is starting. So college kids are waking up, and uh, it's time to go. Oh, so. and you're going to be praying for your guys tomorrow, right? Tomorrow. Tomorrow is 420, which is the Pothead National Holiday. And uh, that means 20,000 people are going to descend upon the town of Boulder, Colorado. It's going to be rough. So yeah. Pray yeah. for Boulder retroactively when you hear this next week or two weeks. It's going to be intense. But it's good to be with you, Jim. Could be Joe, here. whoever you are. Catholic Stuff Podcast, gmail.com, Facebook, and we'll talk to you soon.